I get the opportunity to welcome up my lovely husband. He's going to be preaching today. Yay! He's the best. I love you. I love you too, friends. Buenas, hermanos. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you today. Um, my name is Luis. Uh, if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you. But anyway, I've, as you know, we've been uh, going through a uh, Matthew Mega series for the past few months, and specifically more so uh, the lineage of Jesus Christ. And if you see me looking at my notes a lot, it's because I have a lot of pages worth of information, which I'm going to try to shorten as much as I can. But uh, last week, Jeff talked to us about Rehoboam and uh, what a what a person he was, and uh, he was the son of Solomon, actually, and this, this week I want to talk to us about um, exile, but in order to get us there, I, uh, I want to walk through us, walk us through, there you go, uh, the books of Kings, but first I would like to take a minute to pray. <sighs> Holy Spirit, come. God, would you breathe and move and follow us? Yeah, Lord, open our minds and our hearts for this morning and just send us out to be a good light for this city. Amen. So, to summarize the, the books of Kings, First and Second Kings, I watched... Uh, a Bible Project video. I don't know if you've heard of the Bible Project. It's a, such a good tool to, uh, if you ever want to learn about certain books of the Bible or certain topics that the Bible talks about, it's a really good tool. And for today, I watched that video several dozen times. Um, so, yeah. So the first and second book of, of Kings, in its ancient writings, it was one very big book of capital K-I-N-G-S, Kings. And in this book, it talks about the kings of Israel and Judah. So uh, it was a unified story from, that continues on from the book of Samuel that came before it. And in this big book, David has unified the 12 tribes of Israel. So it, he unified the, the 12 tribes of Israel into one big kingdom. And we read that God promised David that from his line, a messianic king would come one day. So, in the book of Kings, uh, we learn about the kings that reigned over Israel after David, and sadly, none of these kings li ever lived up to uh, the promise of God that he was going to be a messianic king that uh, was going to bring all of the kingdoms together, and it was going to be the miracle of life. So, the book of Kings is designed to have five main movements, and the story begins and ends focused on Jerusalem. First, with Solomon's uh, reign and the construction of the temple of God, and in the last section ending with Jerusalem's destruction and exile into Babylon. The stories between this, these two portions of it, so the three stories between, makes up for uh, it's what explains how it ended up, how Israel ended up splitting up into two rival kingdoms, and how God sent out prophets in order uh, to prevent corruption, and how the exile became an unavoidable consequences to Israel and Judah's actions. So 
the book opens up talking about the kingdom of Israel being passed on from an old David into his successor Solomon and David basically tells Solomon every single word that came from uh, Moses and Joshua and Samuel to the people of Israel which is a call to be faithful and uh, to the commands of the covenant and to give allegiance to God. David's words were very shallow in this because as soon as he ends up saying, hey, keep your allegiance to God, follow God at all times, uh, both Solomon and David start making plots to assassinate a bunch of political rivals and uh, this in order to preserve and control Solomon's new kingdom. So starting out with the first movement, we have Solomon's brightest moment, which is when he goes up to God and says, God, give me wisdom to uh, lead your kingdom. And then he even gets to complete David's dreams of building this huge temple for God. And it's, uh, the book carries on to explain in great detail the design of this temple. And it's a place full of symbolism for, from uh, the Garden of Eden, which is a place where heaven and earth meet the perfect place where God's presence dwells with all of his people. And not long after uh, Solomon finished this temple, he started making all sorts of wrong choices that ultimately make the kingdom fall apart. He marries the daughters of other kings, hundreds of them actually, uh, just for political gain, and adopts these foreign religions and brings the worship to these, uh, from these foreign religions into Jerusalem and Israel and even brings idols into the temple of God. He accumulates huge amounts of wealth and builds a big army and started uh, instituting slave labor for all of his uh, building projects. So if we go back into the Torah and read, um, what is it called? How to lead Israel for dummies guidelines. Solomon breaks all of these rules. He messes everything up. So by the time of his death, uh, Solomon looked more so like the Pharaoh of Egypt rather than uh, his father David. So that's the first movement. The second movement, it brings us to what Jeff talked to us about last week, which is Rehoboam. And uh, this was Solomon's son. Rehoboam started acting like his father. Uh, he, uh, it is a really one, really a really sad story of greed and uh, lust for power. We learn that he tries to increase taxes and have uh, more slave labor, and under his lead, uh, and under the leadership of a political rival, Jeroboam, the uh, the northern tribes, which are ten of them, reject Rehoboam. They rebel and they leave the kingdom of Israel. So now. Rehoboam, Rehoboam only has the last two uh, loyal tribes, which are Benjamin and Judah. I know it's, a, it's a, a lot of information. So Jeroboam, which is the, the political uh, enemy of Rehoboam, he goes on to build two new temples to compete with the big temple of Jerusalem. And in these temples, he makes idols, two calves, puts one in each temple and 
um, basically connects us back to Exodus 32 and all the wrong things from there. So at this point of the story, the, the author goes back and forth, north and south, from uh, stories of the kings of Israel, the ten tribes, and Judah, which is Judah and Benjamin. And every time the author of Kings introduces a new king from whichever kingdom, he evaluates them on two things. One, did they worship the God of Israel alone or did they promote the worship of other gods? And two, do they deal with idolatry among the people and did they remain faithful to the covenant like David or do they become corrupt and unjust? Needless to say, it did not look good for any of them. Um, they were all pretty messed up kings, pretty much, except two or three. Uh, which leads us into the third portion of the third movement of the uh, five movements of kings, which are the prophets. God starts sending out these guys, which I always pictured to be Gandalf-looking dudes, walking through the wilderness, saying all sorts of prophetic things. But uh, they're, they kind of are like that. They're not fortune tellers necessarily, but they do speak in behalf of God. And uh, they act as um, the covenant watchdogs. That's what this thing says. So, which means that they would call out idolatry in each of the reigns of each king and injustice amongst the kings and the people. And they were constantly reminding Israel that they're called to be a light to the nations and that they should obey God. Which now leads us into the fourth movement. Once we reach uh, the second book of Kings in chapter 17, we see that the empire of Assyria swoops down, conquers the ten tribes of Israel, and sends them out into exile. So now the author turns and starts telling the story of just Judah and Benjamin. But before that, he stops and starts uh, giving his own reflection of what happened with the kingdom of Israel, saying, well, they fell because of their idolatry, um, because of their unfaithfulness to God and to the covenant. And because of these actions, God basically allows them to face the consequences of their own actions. So as we turn and look more so at the story of Judah, we learned that there was two good kings in Judah, Hezekiah, uh, who when Assyria came down to Judah and tried to uh, invade them, he basically just stood there and trusted in God. Or Josiah, who came two kings, no, a king after Hezekiah, he ended up going back into the temple and he discovered a lost scroll from the Torah. He started reading and it, very convicted by it, started instituting a bunch of uh, religious reforms to steer the people back into um, the, the good ways, I guess. But at this point, uh, they are way too far gone. The king, in right in the middle of these two guys, which all of these guys, most of them, they're, they're the, from the lineage that we're reading. So the king right in the middle of these two guys, his name is Manasseh, and he was the absolute worst of all of these kings combined. Not only does he 
introduced the worship of other gods into the temple, into the people, but he also starts uh, sacrificing children, his son included. And so God sends prophets to say the time is up. There is no return from what you're doing. So in the fifth and final movement, and in the last chapters we read of uh, the Babylonian Empire just coming in, and now the line of David has been exiled, and the temple has been destroyed. And the psalmists of that time came together and, and wrote that psalm that Dan was talking about earlier, Psalm 137. I'm not sure if I want to read that last verse because it's pretty dark. But I want, to read, I want to read it, and I will read it from the message version. It is, it is Psalm 137. Alongside Babylon's rivers, we sat on the banks and we cried and cried, remembering the good old days in Zion. Alongside the quaking aspens, we stacked our unplayed harps. That, that's where our captors demanded songs sarcastic and mocking, sing us a happy Zion song. Oh, how could we ever sing God's songs in this wasteland? If I ever forget you, Jerusalem, let my fingers wither and fall off like leaves. Let my tongue swell and turn black if I fail to remember you. Bless you. If I fail, oh dear Jerusalem, to honor you as my greatest. God, remember those Edomites and remember the ruin of Jerusalem. That day they yelled out, wreck it, smash it to bits, and you Babylonians, ravagers, a reward to whoever gets back to you for all you've done to us. And I will not read that last message because it's pretty bad. I don't like it. And the thing is, in every single version of the Bible, it says something similar to killing their babies. I don't like that. Um, so, <laughs> just reading about this brought me uh, back to my own experience of exile, my own personal experience of exile, and it, it's not necessarily that um, when I left my country here, I was kicked out by it, but because for legal reasons I couldn't go back to my country, I was like stuck and for about, it was, I was like stuck, quote-unquote, uh, only for a year and three months, and for these uh, few months, I just was very unproductive, at least for me, I felt so unproductive, uh, so useless, I felt like I was so far away from family, and my food, and sounds, and uh, smells, and everything, that it was just like a part of me that was missing from me. I don't know how to express it enough. Um, so I can't imagine feeling that in, to the extent that these people felt it. Um, if I'm honest with you, I do not remember necessarily all of it. I, it, w it would just blend together <laughs> from time to time. Like all, all of a sudden I would wake up and I was, oh, it's Monday, oh, it's Friday. And uh, I remember waking up feeling, oh, I wish I could just be going back to sleep again. But at the same time, not really because I couldn't sleep. And 
yeah, it was like surrounded by people. I felt very alone, and I just felt like so much was missing from my heart. And like I felt this, uh, this. Um, I need to read this because I'm sidetracking a little bit. But like in my mind, I felt like there were there was ten different voices yelling at me at the same time. You deserve being exiled. You deserve this and that. You did this this particular day, this particular year, and all of these things just started pounding me down to the floor, not letting me wake up in the morning or sleep at night. And at the same time, ten voices yelling at me, judging me, condemning me for my actions, for my sins. At the same time, there was just nothing empty heart and mind it felt like the worst part of of it all came earlier this year when my brother-in-law passed away i was the feeling stuck portion just amplified a hundredfold i needed to go back home and care for my family but i couldn't like there is no way to express how much my heart was just crying out of pain so like that part how shall i sing the lord's song in a foreign land for me it was how can I live like this in this path? That was something.
So I, yeah, Kelly, actually I wanted to ask for a ride, but it was an empty highway. There was, I remember standing, trying to wake up, thinking, nothing really thinking, <laughs> just looking. It's completely dark, there's just one like light above me, and then I hear a motorcycle rushing, and I think to myself, well, I'm going to flag them down, and I'm going to have them stop and give me a ride. I'll pay them to take me back home. But the guys came up to me, and they were clearly under the influence of something that was not alcohol, something different. And uh, they came up to me, and he was, they were like, hey, do you know where the nearest store is? Um, and I said, since that was a route that I would normally take to my job up to the mountains, I would call out of whatever random town that was next. And then they left. And as they were leaving, I overheard them say, if this guy's lying to us, we're going to steal all of his stuff and we're going to make sure there are no witnesses to ever find us out. <laughs> so, uh, because it was the middle of nowhere and because of the culture from there, I knew that they were probably saying the truth. So they left. About five, ten minutes afterwards, I hear that little motorcycle coming back. And I'm like, oh crap, I can need to hide. So I start running and just looking for a place to hide. And there's this like little makeshift tent in the side of the road beside the bridge. And I just like hang there, like crouching and just try to make sure I don't fall and die or not get caught and die. So uh, these guys came up, stopped their motorcycle and just like every other scary story. They get out of their motorcycle, they start walking, I hear the footprints, right? And I, like I saw the shadow, and they were like really close to me, and I was like, not breathing, not breathing. For a second I thought they were going to come up to me, and at the very last minute they ended up, they ended up leaving, which, was, which I was grateful for, because that was one of the problems I could get behind. Now the other problem is, how do I get 15 miles back into the city and then another one or two back home at this time of the night. So I just started walking. <laughs> I started walking back and this is a city where, um, or at least this forest is really full of really big cats, wild big cats and snakes and all sorts of uh, spiders and scorpions and all. There's this thing that is a mix between a spider and a scorpion. I am not lying to you, look for it, they are scary, they're harmless, they have a lot of them in Costa Rica actually, they're harmless but they're scary looking. So I'm just, I just start walking back and like I grab my little phone and I think, well at least I have the flashlight, turn on the flashlight, look at my phone, 3% battery, it's like oh dang it, like why, why? So it was this very much so come to Jesus moment. If you've, ever, if you've never had those, I recommend you come to Jesus beforehand. <laughs> because those are not fun. Anyway, I started making my way back, uh, walking, and after five minutes, my phone died. And I just, the only thing leading me, I remember, was the white line uh, beside the road. The problem is that because it's a third world country, uh, this line stops every so often and you don't know, you no longer know where you're going. So, 
Yeah, I started walking back, and after, I don't even know how much it was, how much time it was, I just remember my legs were hurting so bad, this guy stopped for me, and I was like, give me a ride into the city, please, I'll pay you. He said, no need to pay me, just hop on the back of my pickup, which I thought it was so weird, he only cracked the window like this much, and it was a hot night. I was like, that's so weird. I hopped on the truck. We went into the city. I was so grateful for him. I was like, you have no idea how grateful I am with you, sir. I love you. And he said to me, I am grateful you didn't try to stab me like the guy, the, the last guy before you. And I was like, Ugh. I'm glad I got a ride. Anyway, like I made it back home, safe and sound, and I never passed out on the bus again. <laughs> so, which, by the way, I had just met Rachel then, and I was trying to uh, behave better. So I thought, I'm going to go back home earlier. Maybe I could hang out with Rachel tomorrow. That did not happen. But have you like ever had an experience sort of like that? Maybe I'm just kind of odd, the odd one here. But do you ever feel like you are far from home? Like you're walking by yourself, that nobody's there, like holding your hand or watching your back, that the little flashlight you had is running out of battery, or on your, like this, first, like this journey that you are, you feel like you have those 10 different voices yelling inside of your mind saying, you're worthless, you did this, so many years ago and you're going to hell. Like all of these condemning little lies that just are amplified inside of your mind. Um, and because of all of these things that are in our head, it just feels like you actually deserve it. Those are lies, by the way. Those are lies. Or maybe you, there's something you did to someone else, or that someone else did to you, that caused such deep hurt to this other person or to you, and there's no way to mend that wrong. And the consequences of your actions or someone else's actions over you have just carried on over, over your life. As we go into communion um, and into some more worship, like Kelly's passing out. Yes. I would, I would like to to read a passage. Thank you, Kelly. A passage in the book of John. Um, and this is when uh, the woman, a woman got caught in adultery and they brought her to Jesus, trying to trap Jesus. They didn't bring the man, sadly. And uh, they said, basically asking, 
Jesus to condemn her and Jesus instead of condemning her he kneels down and draws a line on the on the ground and starts writing and in this verse uh, Jesus looks back to these men that were trying to trap Jesus kill a woman and she says let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone the only one without a sin there was Jesus and Jesus instead of uh, attacking this woman and condemning her for what she did uh, he is there and he protects her so let's let's take communion Um, so Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So friends, as like Jesus wants to meet you guys in whatever dark and windy road you might find yourself. He's not going to stone you, but on the other hand, he's they're ready to draw the line and say, back off. He's going to protect you. And we're going to have some prayer folks ready to pray for you. And we, as a prayer community, our focus is not to hear what you're saying and be like, oh, did you hear this person did this or that? We're, we're here not to judge you, but more so to try to um, ask the Lord to just fill every single nook in our in our souls. If you need prayer, we want to pray for you. And we're not here to judge you. We just want to pray for you. Um, we want to make sure that we Jesus everyone here. So, yeah. That's, that's it for